Digital media has always had a special place in my heart. When I discovered YouTube 10 years ago, I was captivated by it. I liked how personal and accessible it was compared to the media that I consumed at the time, which was mostly TV. Then, a couple of years later, I discovered podcasts, and I fell in love with the medium. Audio somehow engaged my critical thinking in a way that really appealed to me. And I knew that it was something that I wanted to be a part of, but for a while, I didn't act on it. Then, pretty recently, while I was a senior in college, my longtime friend, Gerald, approached me about starting a podcast, which, as you can hear, I agreed to. So we worked on it for a while and got really excited, but we had to put it off because we both needed to focus on graduating. And then after graduation came, instead of looking for a job, I decided to take some time off and do this. So I moved back home with my wonderful parents, hey mom, hey dad, and here we are now. Hey guys, I'm Alan. And I'm Gerald. And you're listening to Brain and Butter, a podcast about self-improvement against all the odds. When I was approaching graduation, I was confronted by the rest of my life. The 9 to 5, if I'm lucky, the wife and kids, and old age, and then, in the end, I'm in the dirt. And then I thought about how most people have a thing. The dream of being a writer, musician, or something else that they never got the chance to try. So, out of existential panic, I took time off to do my thing. But then I found myself unable to get anything done. This was really disappointing and shameful to me, because I had gotten this golden opportunity and I felt like I was wasting it. So I called my podcasting partner and longtime friend, Gerald, in hopes that he could give me some insight. Yeah, I think I tend to shift focus when it's like a... Mm. You know, because I'm a music major and I do have to practice, if I'm working on a piece that I really like, um, you know, I practice it a lot. But one big thing is you'll notice that, or I'll notice that for that piece I'm playing, I'll be practicing the easy part, like the fun part. You know, just instinctively, I'll decide to not practice the part that needs practicing just because I think it's hard. So I just avoid it. What Gerald said resonated with me. During that time, I had a lot of creative ruts, which required a bit of effort to get through. And often when I did work through those creative ruts, I often wouldn't like what was on the other side. So for a while, whenever I was creatively stuck, I would stop and do something easier. Then one day, while I was procrastinating on YouTube, I ran into this snippet of a lecture given by Ira Glass. Nobody uh, tells people who are beginners. And I really wish somebody had told this to me is that um, all of us who do creative work, like, you know, we get into it. And we get into it because we have good taste. But it's like there's a gap that for the first couple of years that you're making stuff, what you're making isn't so good, okay? It's not that great. It's, it's, it's trying to be good. It has ambition to good, but it's not quite that good. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, your, your taste is still killer. And your taste is good enough that you can tell that what you're making is kind of a disappointment to you. You know what I mean? I really built up this podcast in my head before we actually made anything. And what I ended up making didn't meet my expectations. So what could I do to close that gap that Ira Glass was talking about? Do a lot of work. Do a huge volume of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week or every month you know you're going to finish one story. Because it's only by actually going through a volume of work that you're actually going to ca catch up and close that gap. 
and your, the work you're making will be as good as your ambitions. The only way that I could do that was if I really learned to focus myself. And so I dug around and learned a lot about the decision failure that is procrastination. And what I learned was that people just aren't good at deciding between short-term rewards and long-term rewards. Just studying for finals, I definitely understand what you're talking about. You know, like, oh, you know, let me just watch this episode of whatever right now and then I'll get back to studying and then I'll keep doing that. So like over finals week, I'll watch like four seasons of something. This kind of thing happens a lot to me whenever I'm like in the kitchen and we happen to have like chips or cookies at home. And it's just, I know not I shouldn't eat it, but it just becomes very difficult not to do it. I always like kind of gravitate towards it. Why do we make decisions that in the long run hurt us? Like watching Netflix when we're supposed to be studying or eating junk food when we're trying to be healthy. For me, it feels like there are two Allens. One that wants to watch YouTube videos and another that wants to finish this podcast. Maybe because there are two Allens. Now before you think I'm just totally crazy, there's something called dual process theory that states that there are kind of two Allens. This theory states that there are two systems in your mind that help you make decisions. There's system one, which is automatic. It's like knowing what one plus one equals and what color the grass is. You'll notice that the answers to these questions kind of just pop up in your head. And then there's system two, which is analytical and deliberate. You're in this mode when you're trying to work out what 73 times 87 equals in your head or trying to remember what color your second grade teacher's eyes were. The answers to those questions, by the way, are 6,351 and hazel. Our system one selves are quick and effective at making decisions, but they aren't very good at thinking ahead. Our system one selves just wants to do what feels good now and avoid things that feel bad, even if what feels good now ends up being bad for us in the future. Our system two selves, on the other hand, are good at planning and accounting for the fact that sometimes it's worth it to experience unpleasantness or cost now so that we can receive a larger reward in the future. But our system two selves are lazy and they aren't usually running things. System one is usually in control, and it has its eyes on immediate rewards regardless of future consequences. So does this mean that we're forever doomed to the whims of system one? Not necessarily. Through the process of creating brain and butter, there were four tactics that were the most useful to me in overcoming the whims of system one. Tactic number one is called a commitment device, and if done right, makes it impossible for you to be tempted away from your main goal of productivity or health. Gerald describes this tactic when addressing my lack of self-control when it comes to chips. Hey man, you should get that jar that like, once you set a timer, you can't open it until the timer goes out. You know what I'm talking about? If I have access to sweets and fatty foods, then I'm going to eat it. So I just don't buy any of, I don't buy any like chips, I don't buy any cookies and stuff like that. It keeps the whims of System 1 under control by removing temptation altogether. So I committed myself to blocking distracting websites, and this helped me make sure that my wandering eye didn't turn to YouTube. Tactic number two was extremely useful to me because it reduced the dread of working on something unpleasant. So there is something called the Pomodoro Technique, I think that's what it's called, and it's when you uh, work on something for a 30 minute or a 25 minute stretch and then you take a break. And so you, you divide your time into like 30 minutes of work and then like five or 10 minutes of break. Like 30 minutes isn't a long time. It's easy to commit yourself to that. Tactic number three was used often by Gerald, who discovered it after his many years of training as a violist. It gave him direction during practices and helped him improve as a musician. 
being a musician, I know the right, proper ways to practice. And there are lots of different ways. But what's worked for me is when you go to practice, it's not mindless practice. You have a goal, you set yourself, hey, I'm going to practice this and make sure it's as clean as possible. Or, oh, I'm going to play this and make sure I can get the most tone or whatever, right? You go in your practice with a set goal and you do it for 30 minutes and then take a five minute break. When people study, I feel that people don't go with a goal. And I feel like... That's as if someone just told you, hey, go work on this, you know, with no direction. Like if someone just told you to go work, you might think, hey, what do you want me to work on? What should I be focusing on? Right. So I feel like when you go work yourself, you need to be the person who gives yourself guidance. Setting a goal and direction before taking on a task makes it so that when it's time to work, you can just start. No need to spend any energy planning. Tactic number four will ensure that you're ready to work when you need to and help you stay on track. One thing that I've started doing is going to the library, and that will be a spot where I will tell myself, okay, so in the library, I will get this stuff done. And then uh, for my entire duration there, I will be working on that. I feel the same way about practice rooms at the music school. Designating a spot for work helps your mind associate that place with work, which makes it less likely that your attention will shift towards something distracting. While making this podcast, I frequently found myself in spots where I didn't know what I was going to write or say next. And I'm a pretty easily distracted person, so I needed to find a way to combat the part of me that would try to shift my focus towards something else. Those tactics I listed earlier were all extremely helpful in helping me stay focused so that I could actually put in the work necessary to close the gap between my expectations and skills. And these tactics also helped make sure that this podcast became something that I did and not something that I just wish I did when I was older. Thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, please recommend this podcast to a friend, rate us on iTunes, and if you can, support us on patreon.com forward slash brain and butter. You can keep up with us by visiting our website, brainandbutter.org, our Facebook page, or on Twitter, where our handle is brainbutterpod. A special thanks to our parents for everything, Jennifer Martinez for the artwork, and Davey Cano for the intro music. The music in this episode is by TRG Banks, Kamiku, and Kevin McLeod.